from Future Founders HQ in the podcasting studio at 1871 in downtown Chicago, this is The Insider. Your fast pass for the latest news, tools, and debates for young entrepreneurs. Be sure to leave feedback about your experience with us today in our survey at the bottom of the e-pass. Thanks for listening. Hi, my name is Hannah King, and I'm the founder of Woven Futures. We're an ethical fashion company based out of Guatemala and Florida. We link the world's most remote artisans to the U.S. fashion market. I'm from Guatemala, so I saw a huge market of artisans that had all this talent but lived in a lot of poverty. So I began Woven Futures to really help them develop their skills and then bring uh, ethical and green fashion over to the U.S. And then this is Kat. Hi, thanks, Hannah. Uh, my name is Kat. I am a student athlete at Grand Valley in Michigan, and I'm the founder of Walker Lifestyle. I started on, kind of on accident when one day after practice, I had my valuable stolen on my gym locker, and I didn't want to wear the bulky running belt, and I just needed the basics. So long story short, I met with my mom's seamstress. She had a bridal store, and... I was able to make my first product, the wrist wallet, wrist locker, wrist wallet, that you can stash your small essentials for travel, fitness, or festivals. So I think, you know, we both began on accident, which is kind of funny, you know, seeing that need there. And I would say that, so we both began as students as well, but one of the biggest challenges for me was not having that background of product design or the fashion industry so it's definitely been a journey of learning as you go, like you mentioned, Kat. I wanted to, I wanted to go to med school. I had no idea what even an entrepreneur was. And so when I first made these products, I wanted to make it for myself. And then I had people asking, you know, where they could get one and saying that I was not the only one with this problem, which was really exciting. And so I just kind of listed my first product on Etsy just to kind of see, and it took off so fast, and it was so exciting that I switched my major to double in entrepreneurship and marketing. Um, but I would say for me, you know, like like Hannah, everything is that we've you know had to learn has been by trial and error, and the life of an entrepreneur is definitely like a roller coaster. Sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure I with that. I would say the other thing too is with Woven, you know, we're an ethical, we're a fashion company, but we also work with economic development in Guatemala. So I've had to have my hand in like five different industries in a sense from supply chain to exporting to working with poverty alleviation to the actual products and design. So it's been it's been such a challenge in that sense, but also really cool because you get to work in a lot of different areas with a lot of different people. And so it's funny that you mentioned Etsy. I started selling out at this like thrift farmer's market in Tallahassee. And like, like you said, right, it, it took off completely. And that's when I really saw the potential in it. So we just kind of took off from there. But I would say being in so many different industries, like I said, has been kind of kind of a challenge for us in, in being able to really grow uh, and handle everything from a, I'm a sole founder and I know you are too, Kat. So, you know, 
figuring out how to, to build your team around all these different industries and, and look at like the weaknesses that, that you may have and how you bring other people on has been an interesting journey for us at least. Yeah, for sure. And what would you say like before kind of really taking off and making the decision to, to do this more, um, like full-time kind of thing. I don't really think of it as a job either. It's just something I'm so passionate about, but mm-hmm. I, I would say I wish I knew some things like <laughs> that a lot of people add, like I'll have a lot of people like email me and they're like, Oh, like what, you know, what's the thing that you wish you, you knew or you learned or, or someone have told you. And, and I would say that like everything is negotiable from the event that I would go to or speaking with manufacturers um, I, I would have saved a lot of time, but, you know, lessons learned and, and that's probably would be like the biggest takeaway for me. That's, and also I think, you know, the saying ignorance is bliss is so, (laughs) because if I would have known everything, I probably would have been more hesitant to start woven where at the time, like you said, I was so passionate about it. I saw a real problem. I really believed in these people, so I went and took off with it. Um, so in a sense, that ignorance was absolutely necessary because you, you're able to throw yourself into it. But I think the biggest takeaway for me, looking back now, that I wish I would have known is you don't have to do everything. Um, and whether that goes to events or thing as the people, because it can start getting a little overwhelming when you're listening to all these different opinions and you start building a business around what you think you need to do. So I think that would probably be our our biggest takeaway at Woven is just honing down your focus, your mission, and making sure that everything you're doing is aligning with it because then you can get a little scattered, I think. For so sure. That's our takeaway. Yeah. Uh, but not knowing, honestly, is better sometimes because that's the only way that you're really fully going to throw yourself into something because you don't know the negatives, you know? Yeah, because they definitely, they didn't teach a lot of <laughs> what I was doing now in, in school and things, even being, you now I switched to double on entrepreneurship and marketing. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is, you know, either outdated or, you know, they're not teaching you how to talk with lawyers or negotiate with manufacturers or run a Facebook advertising campaign. And so if like before starting this business, if I wasn't, you know, so passionate about it and doing it because I think that, you know, no one should have to worry about their valuables when on the go. Like I would have, someone who told me I had to deal with all these things. I probably would have been absolutely scared and (laughs) gone through with it as far as I have. And, and you just like, I would say even like from freshman year, the amount of growth, like, like personally and, you know, business wise, I've been able to learn so much more. And like, I think another really important thing is leveraging the connections and your support system, because I mean, granted we're sole founders, but I think the support that we both had in our, you know, Mm -hmm. family and friends and, and mentors have been that helped us through those like make or break points. Would you agree? I mean, definitely. And I, I say this all the time, and it's not to, like, pump up anyone, but I really don't know how far I would be if I didn't have future founders because working in fashion here in Tallahassee, it's not the biggest hub for fashion, right? It's not like you're in New York or a city that really speaks to that. 
So I was probably one of a few companies doing fashion here in Tallahassee. And like you said, school doesn't necessarily teach you those things. And my major is international affairs. So I study a lot of international development. And I love that. But I, don't, I didn't have the double major of entrepreneurship, right? So I had to go find those resources to be able to kind of make up for the knowledge that, that I was lacking when it came to exporting to textiles, to design, all of those things. And with Future Founders, it just provided more than anything that support system to keep you going through things. And again, I mean, and I know Kat, we both have done different, a lot of the same competitions. So that brings a lot of that expertise. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, it'd be interesting to see where I would be if I didn't have Future Founders, just because they, they kind of were like a home base that I totally agree with you and it's so weird because I at first was just looking up pitch competitions and I saw their pitch competition and then it kind of talked about a little bit about their fellowship program and I was so hesitant and I probably wouldn't apply it applied if I didn't hear from one of my friends how incredible it was and and I'm so glad I did because I you know can can also say that I have no idea I don't think be at the <laughs> at the level of growth that I've reached or even met the people that I have and, and like, you know with our fellowship group we talk to each other on a daily basis practically mm-hmm. I mean, it's because we're granted we're in different industries but we all are dealing with a lot of similar problems and there's not too too many student or just out of college entrepreneurs who want to make this you know a full time and and be making the impact that we're striving to do. And so I, I think that the, the environment and the type of people that this program brings in um, will, I mean, it's changed my life and, and it's changed yours. And I think we have these people who as, you know, kind of in our circle now forever, which is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And I still talk to my mentors on a monthly basis that we were paired up with. And mm-hmm. it's someone like you would have not searched out before and, and they give a, you know, a different perspective and, and, and they're just willing to help, like they're willing to pay it forward. And, and I tell all, all of my friends who, you know, have an interest in, in starting a business and I tell them about this program. And I actually, I think, um, a couple of the people who are in it now are, um, <laughs> referrals. I, I, I told, I was like, it's like getting referral credit, <laughs> yeah, right, for extra, sure. extra mentor hours. Right, I know. Yeah. So, okay, Kat. So we're both, so we're both seniors right now, about to graduate. And at least for me, and I wonder if this is the same for you. When I, so my whole life, I mean, I've been pretty good at school, and it's been a very important thing to me. Um, but then, you know, as I've started woven, I've learned a lot of what I've learned has been outside of the classroom, right? Just from trial and error, like yeah. doing, 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 and I've become. I always said when you find something that you really love, like everything else starts to fall away. So for me, handle well juggling school and woven and like, you know, all that has definitely been a challenge. And it's been more of a challenge probably this past year because things have gotten more intensive with woven. So we work like I said, since we work with these artisans in Guatemala or in really remote villages. We travel a lot there to be able to, to work on them with teaching them how to make products that are at international quality standards and to figure out our product design because it's really hard to design something without seeing, you know, the samples and then kind of refining it. 
but going back and forth a lot, you know, my time is kind of divided between the two. But that's been one thing that's been difficult is managing both and still keeping that, you know, keeping it as a priority because now woven is my priority. So I wonder how it's been for you, right? And I know we've talked a little bit about this, but just dealing with school and probably more than anything, it's like accepting that that one thing that you were always really, really passionate about and thought was like your measure of success suddenly shifts almost like an identity crisis yeah <laughs> sort of literally you're questioning everything but you were you were on a med track so I just wonder how it was for you to like kind of accept the fact that everything you thought you were doing was changing when it came to Walker lifestyle oh my gosh yeah because I when I was so I played tennis at my university and so on top of you know school and practice I'm also trying to manage this business on a daily basis but when I first was looking for schools I was looking at all their med programs and I almost didn't even play tennis because I wanted to focus on school more and things and it was like I, I even got 40 hours of service and working in hospitals and 40 hours of service outside and it was just like I thought I totally thought I had it planned out I was shadowing people and it was like another I guess theme of being an entrepreneur is like getting out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and definitely with you know goes back to like the mentors and your support system but they were the ones that were like you know trust your gut go with your gut of and realizing like what what is that priority and and so by by making that switch, it was really hard because, you know, like I said, like, I thought I knew what I wanted to do, but yeah. in the end, like, it just, it felt right. And and things were happening. I was getting the validation from competitions and, and customers that I needed by, by putting in those extra hours, which helped me make the switch. Like, it wasn't an overnight thing. Like, I at first added a business minor because I was like, oh, I think I can do both absolutely not I learned that after getting four hours of sleep for like a month straight um but it was it's definitely like a progression and in, in bringing these people in and now I'm like I was at a point with you know struggling with manufacturers and, and there's always going to be something um but I would say like I I have gotten really good at list making like what keeps me <laughs> my list like I make a daily outline, I make a weekly outline, and then I have, like, my monthly goals written on all of these so I can see, like, what the priority is. Like, am I doing something every day to kind of work towards that monthly year-end, a few years from now goal? Mm-hmm. And and blocking in time, like, as much of, uh, you know, as crazy as this sounds, but, like, having the kind of block in time for family and friends and take a break is so necessary, you know, as a founder, I think we both struggle with like time, you know, school and time management and feeling like we're missing out on things and, and, you know, what we, we need to be taking advantage of. But yeah, I think burnout is a real thing that people don't realize. And sometimes you don't even realize that you're burnt out till you actually take a break and you realize how exhausted you are just from doing everything. But so you were talking a little bit about manufacturing. I think it's interesting because you you manufacture in China, right? Right now? You know, yeah. That's your main manufacturers. And so I'm manufacturing in Guatemala. And I would say, like, the biggest difficulties with that, and this is, I mean, I guess it can be any product, right? But for us, 
taxes are getting higher on manufacturing. So one of the biggest things is, you know, how do we set our price points and like stay competitive in the market when prices are rising for us? And then timeline as well, because everything's handmade. So it takes a little bit longer. So I would say one of the things that we're constantly working on is just figuring out how to, I guess, really deliver like that message of the value of what you're doing and be competitive because especially in fashion, things are always moving, things are always changing, there's always new products. So what would you say that you like have struggled with more when it comes comes to that? Um, in terms of manufacturing? Manufacturing or like also the marketing of your product, right? Because there, there's, I'm assuming there's other um, like fitness type things of what you're doing. Yeah, I would say I at first, like, because I manufactured, I was ma- making things by hand and had to learn how to sew and everything, was doing things here. And I had the good problem of not being able to keep up with demand. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, you know, in your head you think, you you know, something sounds so great and, and then you try to tell someone else or put it on paper. Sometimes <laughs> you, like, think they understand what you're getting at or you, you assume like some basic, you know, features of the product. Well, yeah. that's, like, this makes sense in your head, you know? And the and, money you put into samples is what hurts. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you know, because you traveled to Guatemala and actually you've been able to work with them like one-on-one though, right? It's so yeah. necessary. I mean, it's right now. So right now it's neat because we're kind of transitioning to, now that we've established our supply chain and have like these solid artisans that we work with continually, we can start sending our patterns and having them make them. But it just takes, it's at least like two more samples than if we were there to really go through it with everything. So you're, you know, there's definitely a cost to not being near your manufacturer, I think. I mean, at least we're able to go a few times a year. But it's definitely a challenge when you're making products just because it's hard not to have it physically in your hand and look at it before you redesign. Yeah, because I'm so. Um, fortunately, one of my mentors offered me to kind of piggyback on a trip with them uh, in June to meet my manufacturers because having that you know sustainable relationship I think is super important and um, being able to kind of check out their other fabrics and things. So I'll I'll be trying to do that soon, but I won't be as active you know with my manufacturers as you mm-hmm. are. I mean, ideally, to have them manufactured in the U.S. would be ideal um but i think you can attest to this like the when i was trying to manufacture here it was like the quality and the pricing and the capabilities were just not there as they are overseas i mean did you try did you ever attempt to kind of make product or, or manufacture it here at all or your intent was is and continues to be 100 percent from guatemala yeah so our intent is to do everything fully in guatemala the only thing is there's, I mean, so we're a social enterprise, and our focus, which a challenge with social enterprises, right, it can be finding that balance between your social good and then also your profit because you have to be able to keep putting into the business. So in Guatemala, there's so many artisans that have talents from ceramics to they're like leather craftsmen or they work with textiles. So there's a lot of potential there already. And... That's why we keep our focus of being 100% made there. Um, but there, you have to put a lot of time into having workshops with these artisans to kind of get them 
working on on the level to export products and also just make things consistently because when you're making things by hand there is a one-of-a-kind aspect which is good we want that but we also want there to be consistency in our products so we're doing everything 100% there it's hard because sometimes like even it's little things you don't think about you know but they have silver like silver hardware for let's say our leather bags the bronze is really hard to find there so we have to import that so we have challenges with making everything there when it comes to the accessory pieces to what we make and it does get a little bit more expensive so I mean, half the battle is just finding the balance between your pricing on how to make everything there. Obviously, you know, our focus is paying fair prices for these women that are making products because that's how they support their families. And for most of them, that's the only source of income. So we do keep everything 100% there. But it, I, can, I can understand the frustration because import taxes are a pain in the a pain um so <laughs> it's definitely frustrating in that sense but i think when you're finally able to really like convey the value of your product people are willing to pay the price because they can see the quality you know so okay. it's just being able to like find your niche and really like explain the value of it for us you know what would you say like because we're constantly learning about our customer and kind of evolving with, you know, the, the way we're able to reach them technology wise, but how would you say like you really figured out, um, who, who that target customer is of yours? Like what tool or in what ways were you figuring it out? So honestly, I mean, I failed. That's how, because I thought my customer, <laughs> it's funny because, so I, I was a sophomore in college when I started Woven. So I thought this is so bohemian. Everyone in college would love it. And so I thought for sure I knew who my customer was. And then I tried selling products and I realized that at these different markets that I would go to, all these college kids would love it, but they could afford the bracelets that were like $10, but they couldn't buy the bags, right? Mm -hmm. So it's frustrating because I'm thinking this is definitely in style. It's very boho. You know, why, why don't these people buy? But it's because they don't have the budget, right? But then it was interesting because at this one market, the one where I told you where everything basically sold out, it was all these older ladies who were like grandmothers and mothers and they, they loved it and they were just buying like three bags at a time with all these accessories for their grandchildren. And I'm like, wait, my customer base is grandmas. What? You know? <laughs> and it's not a bad way, but it's just funny because you have this one idea in your head. So we even started making products because we were like, this is the product that people are going to want. And then when we actually sold, it was a different product that was selling to a whole different customer base. So by failing, in a sense, we found out who our true customer was. But so that's kind of how we found out. And really just testing, testing with people, with products. Um, I think one mistake that we made, like I said, is making products because we thought they would be a, a hit as opposed to doing a lot of research and you know, validation before you go put all this money into manufacturing and export like 50 units. Yeah. <laughs> Not as popular as you think. Um, so I would say for us, definitely doing that customer research and then finding like your sweet spot with pricing. 
because we sell products in some stores in boutiques and so we get our reports of what sells same thing as online right but even like going into these stores i mean we, we have some products in the coffee shop so i'll sit and do some work at the coffee shop and kind of see how people interact with products and those items that are like twenty dollars you know people buy it because it's an impulse thing so we sell so many cosmetic bags because it's impulse and you always i mean you can attest to this. You can always use, like, an extra bag for your stuff. Oh. <laughs> so people buy these cosmetic Huh? I said more than I can admit. <laughs> so people buy these cosmetic bags like crazy, but then we made these, you know, backpacks, and not as many of them sold because it's a higher price point. So figuring out, like, consumer habits I think is really important and, like, what drives people to purchase like the impulse action, because when you get people with those impulse items, then they buy into your brand. Once they're bought into your brand, they're more likely to purchase a higher price item because they're already, they know you, you know, they love their bag. Now that loyalty can turn into another purchase. So just figuring out really like the psychology of why people purchase and how. Yeah, I have kind of a funny story how you said you like were Doing that, you know, by accident and failing, uh, my number one selling product right now was created on accident. So I had people, so my wrist wallet I originally intended for was the length of my D to fit cash, keys, lip balm, you know, smaller essentials. But I had people who kept messaging, oh my gosh, I want to put my phone, 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 phone. But it goes on your wrist and I just thought that was super awkward because there's, you know, those armbands and things and every month there's a new phone coming out. So why would I want to take all this time to build this new product and it already be outdated. And I had this extra large prototype band that was made out of like this awful cotton spandex material. And I had a metal zipper. It was just absolutely awful. And one of my roommates, I was about to throw it away. She goes, dude, don't throw that away. I'll use it. I said, really? You know, I'm, I can't sell it. So, you know, you can have it. And we went to the gym that day and she was doing this workout and the band was, it was a half inch larger only by the width and then my band like the typical band and she stuck her phone in her headphones sticking out and I go hold it right there and so I took a picture of her doing it like that and I went back and tested I was able to figure out a way like with the stretch capabilities by increasing the width not the height I was able it was able to stretch and fit every single size phone and I would have not realized like I was so close-minded about okay I'm not making something for phones and then since making that change that's been my number one selling product like by far yeah I mean for me too it's it's hard to find the balance of listening to your customers of what they want and then also like the feasibility of making it so I know you have three main products right which honestly, I wish because it's so hard. <laughs> we, we're, so with fashion, like there's just seasons, and that's one thing that we struggle with in being, you know, in sustainable fashion is this consumerism is such a big thing. People want a new item every month. There's a new season, a new trend. So keeping up with with that is kind of hard for us because it takes time to make products, and also like we're trying to make products that. Uh, transcend seasons that you can wear through multiple seasons so that it's more sustainable and you're not producing as much waste so but then you have people I'll get messages that they you know how about camera straps how about this how about that so for us and I, I want to make it all but it does take a lot of 
you know, just resources. And you also want to stay focused with your product line. So I would yep. say for us, and I mean, I wonder if you have any like tactics to stay focused, right? Um, but for us, it's kind of difficult to to get all these comments because I'd love to make all the items and we do plan out our season. So some items will be coming in the next year, right? But figuring out how to, how to focus on our, our product and maintain that while also offering customers that diversity and like newness that they want. Totally. And I think you, you brought up a valid point of, you know, you can't please everyone. And it, it's hard. Cause I was, you know, trying to come up, people were messaging me, Oh, you know, let's get, these colors or get this and this. And it was like, I really, you know, sticking to one of my like core, my core why was like, okay, bring the basics and, and keep it simple. And it was like, okay, I don't need 50 colors to be able to please these people and have all inventory. It wasn't necessary, but what future founders and my mentors has helped me realize is okay. In that, you know, you have your like three to five year kind of milestones, but you know, for the year, I think planning out for the year is really important because you kind of have those year end goals and what you want to accomplish. And I think the best way to kind to actually get to that point is by working backwards. So, so when you know what you want that end to be, when you, mm-hmm. oh, when you break it down backwards and break it into to doable chunks for your, for monthly, weekly and daily basis, like on a daily basis is, is been crucial for me. Um, and I, I'd love to hear about kind of work with that in terms of like milestones and keeping yourself focused. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a really interesting concept. I like that. I mean, we've done that for our budget, right? It's like, what are we going to need to function? Cause then we can break it down into our monthly, into our sales goal, into our marketing goal, but with product. So you work on your design independently, right? Or do you have a designer that works with you? I, I do all of that. It's like, okay one of my favorite things to do actually <laughs> that's so funny so I'm terrible when it comes to design the thing is I'm creative but not with my hands right so my sister she is she has a mind for design like she can pick out things she knows the little details that make some something like functional and really beautiful and so I work with her so we we do our we plan out our designs by season so on the summer we have some really nice, like, recycled market totes that we're coming up with and some summer hats, right? But it's it's interesting because we have to plan. We already know our items for Christmas, right? It probably mm-hmm. takes us about two months to really get a product finalized because you start with your initial design that you send over, then you get the sample. And I'm had, probably 90% of the time you have to get another sample. Uh, so it probably takes us about two months to really get this product solid and ready to go. And then you're doing your stock photos for your catalog and your website and importing takes a few weeks. So for us, it's definitely planning out, you know, probably a year in advance. Yeah. Um, But it's hard to do that because you could plan some, I could plan something now for next winter, but but then a different style trend comes along. And you already had yours planned, you know? So keeping up with the styles is one thing that we struggle with because we're in, in the side of fashion that's constantly changing, right? Absolutely. But I think for milestones, something that we've started doing, and part of part of what we were talking about, it's, it got a little overwhelming at one point because we were trying to make all these products to keep everyone happy. 
For now, what we're doing is we're making some products for wholesale that won't be sold online for us. That's just going to be for our wholesale clients. So we can kind of be creative with our designs there. But we have more flexibility with pricing. And then we're making more of an exclusive line online so that people can shop and it's more one-of-a-kind feel, more of that luxury aspect to it. So that's something that has helped us refine our product, like refine our products, stay focused online for our e-commerce, but then have a lot of creativity with design in the wholesale realm. Just because the nature of our product is that it's always changing, in a sense. Yeah. So that's why sometimes, you know, I look at your three products and I'm like, that's beautiful. (laughs) Work with it. It's hard, though, because then people sometimes, like, you know, we, we're a focus on e-commerce, so in a, in a retail perspective, it's great because we only have two sizes for the wristband, and the head, you know, a headband is one size, but you know, online, people see only two things, and, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, you know, how, it's, they, they don't have a big selection, so it can be right. kind of hard, and you don't have that impulse buy, you don't have that upsell, um, but, you know, I am excited, like, in terms of the future and, and being full, full-time, no school, and in just a month, um, I'm able to, I'll be able to actually work on my new product ideas and, and things, um, which I'm excited for, because I, I like, there's so many different kind of products out there, and, and I like having something that's proprietary, you know, especially with my brand, and, and working on, you know, my patented products and things has been really important I think for for building my actual brand um mm-hmm. but in terms of like buying seasons I always with that and like when do you find yourself reaching out to retailers and things for your different products yeah so well, like I said you what I've realized in, in when it comes to fashion and product is that things are just done months in advance so for example right now we're reaching out for to retailers for summer because for us let's say these market totes that we're making probably take about two weeks to make so we have to get an order in typically it takes about a week to like really decide what colors they want how many then two weeks for production then a week for shipping so you're looking at about a month just for an order and if it's mid-march you're going to get it by mid-april which puts you just in time for summer so we kind of right now we're having to close with with retailers because if not you're a little late for summer already so we're already we actually just got a sample back from one of our leather bags that's going to be for fall so we're planning that out what like five months in advance yeah five months in advance for for fall that way in mid-summer we have the product completely done and we can photograph it put it in our catalogs and start sending out that fall catalog to reach to retailers because it's typically about a month or two if you already have that retailer on board to buy but if you're reaching out which this is touching up on sales which has honestly been one of the bigger challenges for me because i love supply chain product development and sales is a whole different monster right but but literally one of my biggest headaches is sales um so reaching out and like showing the product and having that relationship you know building that relationship uh sending samples that can take months so for us we we're trying we're getting better because we 
So this past Christmas is a good example. We were like, okay, we're going to create all these things. And then we realized people already have their products like set to go months in advance before Christmas. So to get into a retailer for Christmas, you need to have your catalog to them by like September, right? Yeah, because then like sooner. Right, or sooner, because then by the end of October, they've decided what they're going to have for Christmas. So that's a big lesson that I've learned is just preparation is the name of the game when it comes to fashion and when it comes to selling to retailers, you know? It's easier when you're just selling on e-commerce because you upload right around the season when it comes around, so you probably have a couple more months to work with. But I would say we definitely try, like, the season before to start wrapping it all up. Yeah, so I would say that, you know, I have a lot of friends that work um, with with software, with technology, with, you know, food entrepreneurs. I think the nice thing about having a product is that you have something physical where I know I have some friends that had a friend that does experience-based tours and she was telling me she was like Hannah you have a product like it's tangible mine are tours so it's like harder to work with so I think the main the main difference for me is obviously the industry and the challenges that you come into manufacturing and exporting for me is literally probably 80 percent of what I do because it's just you know, resource intensive, time intensive, whereas you have a technology startup and it's focused more on the product than anything and then your sales, right? So I think when it comes to fashion, the manufacturing, uh, and depending on if it's US based, that's probably makes things a lot easier. But really figuring out your pricing when it comes to manufacturing and your exporting. It's probably the biggest differentiator. I don't know what I would do if I wasn't manufacturing. That's, like, all I do. <laughs> yeah, right? I know. I'm like, oh, and I can't imagine a life yeah, without that. Right? And I'm having to communicate with my manufacturers at, like, 12, you know, 1 a.m. because, you know, the time change and everything. So that's super hard. And there's, you know, also a, a language barrier. But I love having an actual physical, tangible item. I mean, it's nice for us being, you know, clothing like our our products they don't expire you know it's, it's not a food thing so it's a little bit easier on us um, to worry about those kinds of regulations um but there's a lot of psychology behind it that i think people don't realize like from your from your packaging to the way it's displayed to your pictures to you know kind of showcasing the uses and and there's there's so many other elements um and challenges like Whereas, you know, tech, it's, it's something that can travel a little bit faster. And I think also, you know, both of us, like, word of mouth is super huge being in, like, the retail industry. Like, having this, like, you know, what works for a person, you're, you're going to trust that much more than seeing an ad or, like, you know, some random service, I think, is, is probably a big differentiator. Yeah, I think it's the way you, you approach it is a little different. And... Also, but, but all that to say that, you know, everyone in our fellowship, I mean, we have a lot of tech, we have different things, but we can all still relate to each other because at the end of the day, I think regardless of what kind of company you have, the fundamentals are all still there and the challenges you encounter are all still there. So I know, like Kat said, we, we talk at least, you know, every week and, we're all going through a lot of the same issues, which sometimes just comes down to your team and how you're managing things. 
So there, there is a big difference for us, you know. Um, but I, I do love having a product. After you've spent a month and $300, you know, to create this little, like, one cosmetic bag and get it perfect, um, you're like, oh, my goodness, my baby. Like, it's finished. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do love having a product that you can have in your hands and you see the results of it. And for us, there's so much marketing that goes into it because it's it's not just your product. It's what your product can do for someone. So like Hat was saying, the psychology part of your your customer and like that intangible that your product brings to them is just as important as creating the product. The Future Founders podcast is produced by the Future Founders team. As a reminder, be sure to leave feedback about your experience with us today in our survey at the bottom of the e-pass. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month.